0: I don't need no introduction <clears throat> all right, praise the Lord Praise the Lord All right I just want to welcome all of you to uh, Tonight's joint prayer meeting uh, We meet every third Saturday of the month uh, we gather people from different churches that are able to come out, and uh, we come together to pray for this city, pray for this nation, and uh, yeah, to pray for the nations as well. And so we're just so glad that you can come out and uh, pray with us tonight, and uh, we hope that you'll continually come out uh, each month uh, as we cry out to the Lord together. Is there feedback? Hey, let, me get, let me get that cut a little bit. It's like there's feedback coming through. Place the speakers differently. All right. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Mark chapter 13, verse 8. Mark chapter 13, verse 8. My name is uh, Christian. I am a pastor at New Philadelphia Church. How many of you guys, this is your first time out to join prayer meeting tonight? This is your first time tonight. All right, let's welcome uh, some of those guys that came out for the first time tonight. All right, we're so glad you're here. All right. Let's look at Mark chapter 13, verse 8. These are the words of Jesus. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, Whatever version you have, please follow along. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The title of my message tonight is Birth Pains. That's what Jesus mentioned here. He's talking about birth pains. Jesus said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famine. These are the natural disasters that you should expect from every 10 years or so. No, he said, no. These are the beginning of the birth pains birth pains. Now, I was uh, doing a little bit of research. Uh, As you guys know, last week there was a huge earthquake in Japan. Uh, Initially they thought it was an 8.9 earthquake. Some have now upgraded that and said it was actually a 9.0 earthquake. Uh, The earthquake devastated uh, much of northeast Japan. And then the tsunamis that came in sweeping up Uh, Houses, cars, everything, ended up killing, so far, uh, 7,200 people have died from the earthquake just one week ago. 10,905 people are missing, and 2,600 people are injured. There's just hundreds of thousands of people homeless right now, both from the tsunamis and from the nuclear... Potential fallout, that's uh, the crisis that they are handing there in Fukushima. Uh, and it's really cold right now in Japan. And so if people that are kind of homeless, they have makeshift shelters. I mean, imagine sleeping outside on the street tonight. You get some blankets, but you're still sleeping outside. Or you sleep in... In a a small tent or something like that. And imagine if you're elderly. You know, a quarter of the Japanese population are considered elderly. Uh, There's a lot of people that are suffering right now in Japan. Uh, If it is rated at 8.9 on the Richter scale, this is the seventh largest earthquake on record since man started to record earthquakes. If it is 9.0, it is the fourth largest earthquake ever recorded since man started uh, taking record. And it is the biggest ever in Japan's history. And Japan's had a lot of earthquakes. We're still watching. And, um, you know, if God is uh, moving on your heart to perhaps you have an opportunity to go and minister uh, in especially Sendai or even Fukushima, parts of Japan. Uh, You know, I want to encourage you guys, you know, take hold of those opportunities if you're able to do that. Um, We normally don't take an offering here at joint prayer meeting. And so, you know, because you guys come from different churches, uh, I want to just kind of respect maybe your own local pastor's wishes. But, uh, you know, at New Philly, you know, somebody had messaged me and said we should take an offering here tonight. And, uh, you know, I agree with that. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're going to take an offering at New Philly at our local church. And you, maybe you want to bring that up with your local pastor. But I think it is worth uh, for us to respond to this. I mean, we, we need to uh, put our money where our mouth is at. You know, if we really care, we're not just sending out a prayer here and there. But, you know, put some money into it and and send it over because uh, they are saying that this earthquake is the most cost is going to be the most it's estimated that it's going to be the most costly earthquake ever. It may be up to $100 billion, US dollars, uh, in losses and cost. Uh, and Japan is economically strong, uh, but that's still a lot of uh, money that they have to cover to try to bring their country back out of this earthquake. All right. And so, you know, we'll be doing that at New Philly. Maybe you might want to bring that up with your local pastor. I think it's a great idea. If you don't know where to give it to, Give it to the American Red Cross. All right. They're, they're very good stewards with the money that, that they receive. All right. <coughs> now, um, last week's earthquake was really devastating. 9.0. I mean, that's really big. And uh, 7,000, over 7,000 people dead, 10,000 missing. I mean, that's a lot of people. So I did a little bit of research just to see how many earthquakes have taken place in the last just 10 years. Let's just go 10, 10 years back and see how many devastating earthquakes have been recorded. Because seismologists, a lot of scientists, when they get interviewed on CNN and things like that, they will oftentimes say, oh, you know, there have always been earthquakes. You know, all those Christians, you know, they're, they're, they're making a hoopla out of nothing. There's no increase in earthquake frequency, they say. You know, in terms of earthquake frequency, it's, a, it's about the same, maybe a little bit more. But they say the reason why that we're paying more attention to it is because the earthquakes are taking place in heavily populated areas. So I did a little bit of research just to say, just to, just to see how true those seismologists uh, are. That's what they do, right? Seismologists, they measure earthquakes. Am I right? Okay, good. Uh, I want to be uh, scientifically accurate up here. Because I'm taking on the scientists all right. So over the last 10 years Let me give you guys a rundown Of devastating earthquakes That have taken place just in the last decade You guys ready? You might have forgotten a lot of these Because uh, there were quite a few Last week right, mentioned Japan Well, uh, last week There was also an earthquake in the Yunnan province of China 5.8 on the Richter scale uh, 25 dead that's still 25 dead. Uh, a few more weeks ago, Christchurch, New Zealand, had a 6.3 earthquake, over 150 dead. Now, uh, some of these numbers are going to be, uh, th- there's going to be some discrepancies depending on what source you use, okay? Uh, April of 2010, Qinghai province of China, 6.9 on the Richter scale, 2,200 dead, according to CNN. Um, February of 2010, you know about the Chile earthquake, 8.8 on the Richter scale, one of the biggest in history, Uh, but but Chileans are ready for earthquakes. Uh, They only had uh, about 500 dead, but still, that's quite a number. January, a month before Chile, we know about Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It was only a 7.0 earthquake. Two hundred thirty thousand people dead, one point three million people displaced. September of two thousand nine, Sumatra, Indonesia, had an earthquake. One thousand people dead, one thousand missing. April of two thousand nine, in Italy, I don't know how to say the city name, Lo Aquila, three hundred dead after an earthquake. October of two thousand eight, in uh, Bocca Bukal- Balochistan province in Pakistan, 6.4 earthquake, 300 dead in Pakistan. May of 2008, Wenchuan, Sichuan province of China, 8.0 on the Richter Richter scale, 80,000 dead, 370,000 injured. That was a big one in China just a couple years ago. August 2007 in Peru, 7.9 on the Richter scale, 519 dead. July of 2006, Java, Indonesia, 7.7 on the Richter scale, 650 dead. Same year, May of 2006, same island, Java, Indonesia, 6.2 on the Richter scale, 5,700 dead. April of 2006, the month before, in western Iran, 6.0 on the Richter scale, 70 dead, 1,200 injured. The year before, October 2005 in northern Pakistan, 7.6 on the Richter scale, 73,000 dead, millions homeless. October of 2005, in the island of Nias in Indonesia, 8.7 on the Richter scale, 1,300 dead. February of 2005, in Kerman province in Er Iran, 6.4 on the Richter scale, hundreds dead. December 26, 2004, Sumatra, Indonesia, off the coast, 9.1 on the Richter scale, one of the largest we've ever recorded, 227,898 people dead. One of them was my NYU classmate, who was vacationing in Phuket. February of 2004, Morocco, 500 dead. December 2003, southern Iran, 26,000 dead. May 2003, Algeria, 2,000 dead, 8,000 injured. May of 2003, Southeast Turkey, 160 dead. February of 2003, Xinjiang, China, 260 dead. And January of 2001, about 10 years ago, in Gujarat, India, 7.9 on the Richter scale, 20,000 dead. Now, I don't know what numbers the seismologists are looking at. But the funny thing is, if you backtrack 10 years before that, or even if you do it over 50 years, there's not anywhere near as many devastating earthquakes with this many casualties. This is in 10 years. You compare 10 years with the previous 40 years, 50 years, and you just have earthquakes here and there that's caused a lot of devastation. But I don't know how many earthquakes. I didn't even count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's a lot, all right. I counted maybe about I don't know twenty earthquakes. Massive devastation. Um, just to give you maybe um, the worst earthquake ever wasn't officially recorded uh, was in China in Sangxi, fifteen fifty six was an 8.0 earthquake. And because a lot of people were living in these makeshift homes and caves and stuff, 830,000 people died in the earthquake. In 1976, China has the worst earthquake in the 20th century. Uh, Official count was 255,000 dead, uh, but the estimated count was 655,000 dead. All right. Um, The other day, China uh, was giving... uh, uh, university in Beijing collected money from college students, and they were giving to Japan's relief fund, even though China still recovering from the earthquakes that they had to deal with in the last three years. Uh, they were collecting money, and, and they said, we're giving, even though we need to still rebuild our country, we're giving because we know how it's like. And uh, you know, China does know. Uh, they've, they've known some of the wor- worst earthquakes in history. Uh, kind of puts into perspective California... Obviously, it's not even mentioned uh, in many of these devastating reports because, you know, California was pretty devastating, but not in perspective of some of these earthquakes. Now, there's a lot of earthquakes. There's a lot of people dead. There's a lot of people injured. There's a lot of people homeless. That's a lot of millions of dollars required to build up cities. And Jesus said... Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I want to talk about birth pains tonight. In the natural, when a woman begins to have birth pains, what what's going on? All right. Yeah, when a woman starts, she breaks her water. She starts to have contractions. She can't breathe right. She's oh, oh, and there's pain, and there's a lot more pain, right? I don't know how it's like. All right, <laughs> uh, I only I only read about it. But these birth pains, they in the natural, point to the fact that the time for the baby's arrival is very near, right? The contractions they start to get closer together. The pain increases. Well, when Jesus says that earthquakes are the beginnings of birth pains, and they're and just like in natural, they're more frequent and they're closer together, they're more devastating. All right. When Jesus says that earthquakes are the beginning of birth pains, you know what are these birth pains pointing to? Now, before we answer the question, okay, uh, it must be noted. That just as natural birth pains get worse and worse, where it feels unbearable for the mother, Jesus also describes that these birth pains are actually going to increase. That wars and nations rising against nations and earthquakes and famines, he's saying that that's just actually just the beginning. It's actually going to get worse. If you read on Mark chapter 13, fast forward to verse 19. Okay, I can't take apart this whole passage, but I'm going to give you uh, just uh, as true of an exposition as I can here tonight. Look at verse 19. Jesus here is in a consistent sermon talking about the end times. Uh, Our millennials will say this is talking about something else. But anyway, um, verse 19, he says, For in those days there will be such tribulation... As has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. To sum it up, in other words, Jesus says there's coming such tribulation is going to overshadow and it's going to make everything else that has happened on earth small in comparison. Meaning that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Look, read on, verse 20. Jesus says, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Imagine that. It is so terrible. So, the tribulation is going to get so bad. All right? That God shortens the days to make it easier for y'all. Now the word here for "saved" is not talking about eternal salvation. Okay, the Greek word "saved" is uh, "sozo" here. Okay, and that word "sozo" can be translated into healed, delivered, delivered from danger, just literally saved, healed. It can it can have different meanings. It doesn't so when it says here. Uh, as, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. We're not talking about, I don't think this is talking about no human being would be saved onto everlasting life. It's talking about no human being is going to survive this kind of tribulation. The days weren't shorter. But Check out, Jesus says, but for the sake of the elect. Now who, who is the elect? If you if you go to my church, you know that uh, I'm, a, I'm very reformed. Talk about the elect. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about God's people. No, we don't choose him. He chose us. All right, and so we're God's elect. And so, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those whom he's chosen, for the sake of the church, he has shortened the days. So, in love, God is like, I'm shortening these days for my people. Okay, it's going to be terrible down there. It's going to get really bad down there. All right, stay with me here. Um, The tribulation, the birth pains, they're going to increase so much that in order for God to help us to persevere through this time, God is going to cut short the days. Now, so we understand that the birth pains are going to increase and be great. But let's go back to the original question. What are these birth pains pointing to? All right, before we answer that, let's use the text to try to answer that. Look at verse 24. What are these birth pains increasing in frequency, increasing in intensity, so that it's so, it's so bad, he called it a tribulation. What is these birth pains pointing to? Let's look at verse 24. Jesus says, but in those days, after that tribulation, okay, all right. So after, that means tribulation is not going to last for eternity. Hallelujah. That's good news. It's going to end. So, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Whoa. <laughs> that do not sound like good news. The The moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Whoa, okay. I thought it was supposed to get better here. <laughs> okay, now I, I'm not, uh, I think these are uh, signs that God's going to give uh, in the heavens, uh, whether it's in the constellations, in the stars, in the sun. The sun's not going to act the same way that it normally acts. And, and uh, stars may, you know. Anyway, I personally think that it's like um, when you go into a movie theater. So, you know, here's how you got to think about it. You need to think about it. Oh, no, the sun's going to be darkened. <laughs> All right, calm down. It's like, it's like this it's like going to a movie theater. When you go to a movie theater, what's the first thing that the theater does when the actual movie starts to play? They dim the lights. Why? Because you get to see the screen better. So Let me just offer you that analogy. That's one way to look at it. Maybe that's what God's getting. I don't know the mind of God. But maybe that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to dim the lights so you can see better. See what better? Look at verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in crowds with great... Power and glory. Hallelujah. So God dims the lights and says, Watch the return of my son. Watch him the way he truly is in all his glory. Because at his first coming, you saw one part of him, his love, his sacrifice, his passion. But his second coming is not going to look the same way. So what are these birth pains pointing to? It is pointing to the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It is pointing to the return of the King of Kings. So Jesus is trying to instruct us to learn the lesson that a mother in labor learns. Because a mother that goes into labor and has her child, although her birth pains, they begin and then they increase and they get unbearably bad, if that mother will keep on pushing and keep on enduring, her new baby arrives. And the pain that she just endured is quickly overshadowed by the joy of seeing her new baby. So Jesus is like, look at that and learn a lesson, my people. Because let me tell you right now, it's going to be bad. And it's going to increase. It's going to be a tribulation that the world has never seen before if you will endure if you will persevere if you will stand and keep the fire burning if you endure then all the pain of all the slander all the accusations all of the all of the persecution some of us even physical persecution All of that pain that we had to endure, if we just keep on pushing, that pain will soon be overshadowed by the joy of seeing the return of our king. It's a very simple and fundamental lesson that Jesus is trying to give us by using the word birth pains. Now, this is, this text here, uh, and in other parts of the gospel, uh, these are the reasons why I believe in what is called the post-tribulation, pre-millennial view of the end, okay? Uh, the majority of Christians, okay, I don't know the true statistics, but many Christians are pre-millennialists, meaning that the thousand years that's described in the book of Revelation, and if this confuses you, just be confused. <laughs> all right? and, and just read about it later, and you can research it later. But the, the Revelation talks about thousand-year reign of Christ, and it, it sounds like it's a thousand-year reign of Christ that's going to be on literal earth. Right? And so that's called the millennium. And so a lot of Christians believe that Christ is going to return at the beginning of the millennium, and then he's going to establish uh, his rule for that thousand years. So that's called a premillennialist. Uh, Anyway, I I can't get into all the terms, but I believe in a post-tribulation, pre-millennial view of the end. This means that the church, the saints, Christ is going to return and simultaneously rapture his people at the end of the tribulation. Not at the beginning. Now. Many American Christians believe in what is called the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view of the end. So let me teach you a little bit. The pre-tribulational view simply says that God is so loving and kind and good, and He is, because He loves us so much, it would pain His heart to see us go through such a terrible thing like a tribulation. And so God is going to rapture his people off and out of the earth at the beginning of the tribulation. And then during the period of tribulation, you know, it's just, you know people got to just try to find Christ on their own. I don't know how they do that. I guess they a copy of the Bible still lying around so they can, they can read on their own, right? But they got to endure tribulation. And then, and then Christ returns to earth at the end of the tribulation and, and ushers in his thousand-year reign. That's called a pre-tribulation tribulation Rapture. The word rapture, by today's American Christian definition, is a pre tribulation rapture. So when you think rapture, you're actually thinking about pre tribulation rapture. Why? Because this has been popularized, all right, by a guy named John Nelson Darby, all right. Uh, He's the father of what's called dispensationalism. Dallas Theological Seminary is a dispensational school. Talbot Seminary in California is a dispensational school. John MacArthur is like a backsliding dispensationalist. He doesn't agree with everything John L.C. Darby says. Uh, Dispensationalism dispensationalism has a lot of great Bible teachers. And so, uh, these seminaries and these uh, people, they're dispensationalists. And they teach very strongly about a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, uh, to be fair, historically, this pre-tribulation rapture was first proposed by John Nelson Darby in 1827. So through his writings and through different conferences, these beliefs became popular among Presbyterian Baptists and congregational members. And on top of that, popular books have also fed the pre-tribulation rapture hype. Okay, it's a book called *Jesus Is Coming* by Roy William Eugene Blackstone. Anyone ever read that? I don't think so. All right, it's an old book. The Schofield Reference Bible. You guys, some of you might have seen that. All right, not many of you study the Bible. Okay, it's all right. Okay, but you get a lot of uh, dispensational views in there. How about, how about this? This is a really popular book in the 70s. The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Oh, come on. Anyone have read that book? What's Goosebumps? Was that a different rapture book? Huh? Oh, oh, like... uh, Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, all right. Stay with me here. Okay, all right. I'll get you on this one, all right? Left Behind by Tim LaHaye. Okay, how many of you guys have read Left Behind? Okay. All right. You watched the movie. How many of you watched the movie with Kirk Cameron? (laughs) Okay, put your hands down. Uh, Look, Left Behind is simply a resurrection of the late great planet Earth in fiction form. All right. um, These... Books. So each generation of Christianity, evangelical Christians in in America, have gotten these books, and so they really, without even knowing it, not studying the Bible for themselves, they they have received and believed in a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning they believe that God's going to spare us from the tribulation. Now that sounds really good, right? Uh, Greg Laurie, a really popular California pastor. You know, I really respect him. I love his Bible teaching. But I was really surprised one day when uh, he started to teach on this. And he was a pre-tribulation rapture guy. Um, Let me read a quote. It says, early original Christian churches, as well as the Catholic church, Eastern Orthodox churches, the Anglican communion, and most Protestant Calvinist denominations have no tradition of a preliminary return of Christ. And they reject the doctrine in part because there is no reference to it among any of the early church fathers nor is there any uh traditional interpretation in that way some also reject it because they interpret prophetic scriptures in either a amillennial or postmillennial fashion i, can't br- I can that's another can of worms all right but there is very smart people a lot of reformed people who actually believe in the amillennial view Meaning they believe that a lot of these uh, millennial end time events, they were fulfilled when Jerusalem fell back uh, around was it, 70, 80, right, when Jerusalem fell. So they believe that that actually was end time events that took place. So we're actually already in the millennium. Except they don't think millennium is a literal thousand years. It's figurative. And we're living in those end times now. Okay, it's interesting, right? Some of a very respected professors I really look up to. They they are all millennialists. I I just can't do it. I don't I can't I can't do that. has <laughs> right, not convinced me one bit their arguments. Now um, here's why I believe it's important that you know who knows who knows who'll be right who'll be wrong but if you're going to be wrong here's why i believe you should err on the post tribulation side okay let's check this out if you believe in the pre tribulation rapture and then the and then the tribulation comes around and you're like jesus what's going on why are you not taking me home where am i What's going on? That's the Antichrist! Oh no! What do I do? I thought I was gonna get raptured up. All right, you're in trouble. You are in big trouble if you're wrong. All right. Now, if I'm post, if I believe in post-tribulation, premillennial, right? I believe Christ is gonna come back and simultaneously rapture us and and, and return to, and to return to earth. If I believe that, if I'm wrong and I get raptured up at the beginning of the tribulation. I'm just like, alright, I guess, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> no problem, it's done. <laughs> but if I'm right, I'm gonna be ready to endure. Um, this is the, called the controversy of uh, witness Under Trial. It's called Witness Under Trial. Uh, I'll read a quote for you. The witness under trial issue was of major concern to the evangelist Corey Tan Boom whose family suffered in Nazi prison camps during World War II for the crime of protecting Jews. Corey Tan Boom preached that the pre-tribulation rapture you know where Christ takes up all the Christians. She preached that the pre-tribulation rapture will leave the church ill-prepared for witness under persecution. Just as it had in China when Mao Zedong rose to power. And she warned that pre-tribulationism was the sort of false doctrine that Jesus warned us about. I mean, it, it really sounds nice. It really sounds... I mean, to me, it sounds very American. <laughs> I find it a little bit harder to find Christians who believe in pre tribulation, mostly because they don't have a dispensational history in most of these other countries, but uh, very American kind of view, you know? You know, like in the Left Behind movie. Do you remember the movie? You know, everyone's just like on the airplane, they're in their cars, and all of a sudden... Eh! <laughs> Cars are like crashing into things and they look inside and there's nobody in the car. There's his clothes. I guess when you get raptured, you can't take your clothes with you. <laughs> you got to go naked. And, uh, and then the airplane, the, they, they look inside a cockpit and the captain's missing. And they're like, where, happened? where did the captain go? Where did the captain go? Everyone's missing. Oh, my child is gone. My child is gone. And I guess the mother wasn't a Christian, but the child was. <laughs> my child is gone. Where's my child? Where's my child? Everyone's freaking out. And that's how they begin the movie. I mean, it messes you up. You're like, oh, man, what if that happens? (laughs) You know, a funny story is actually when I was uh, in high school, uh, I was driving around my mom's car without a license. All right, like half of y'all did it, so just shut up. All right. (laughs) All right, I was like 15 years old. I didn't have my license yet, but I was driving around my mom's car around the block. And, uh, and I got into an accident because another car hit me. And, uh, man, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I did what the natural. I was, it was really close to my house where the accident happened. So I did what every little kid, every teenage kid would do. I ran away from the scene. <laughs> and I ran home, and I tried to find my mom to tell her what happened so that she can, she can help me do something about it. I go home, and nobody's home. So I started going through the basement. I started going upstairs. And my heart's beating like, you know, 100 miles per hour. I'm like, oh no! They left me behind! Jesus! What's going on? I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drive the car around. Please take me. Take me Take me too! I remember like as a teenager, I had three instances like that. Where I literally believed that the rapture took place and I missed out. Thank you, John Nelson Darby. (coughs) You know, in Revelation 7.14, it gives us a problem with the pre-tribulation rapture view. If you look in Revelation 7.14... All right, I'll turn there real quick. Revelation 7:14. Uh, there's a vision that the, uh, John here, the author of this book, has of a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, uh, clothed in white robes, with palm branches, crying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you fast forward down to verse 13, one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, there's a couple ways you can interpret that. You can say these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, meaning these are the ones that got, that that came out before tribulation started. Or you can interpret it. These are the ones that went through it and they came out. That you gotta, you got to choose to believe which one here. okay? But look at verse 15. Look at the image he gives us. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And it seems like they're given a, a place of honor. Right? Why would they be given a place of honor if they just escaped, of, escaped out of the tribulation? Right? They are before the throne of God. Serve him day and night in his temple. He, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Interesting. Neither thirst any more. That sounds like a Kirk Franklin song. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If they just escaped out of the tribulation at the very beginning, before it started, why they got tears in their eyes? We use this a lot at funerals, right? God will wipe away every tear. But, you know, the context is the end-time prophecy. Now, I'm, th- I'm thinking these guys came out of the great, commission, great tribulation, meaning they, they went through it and they came out of it. They came out of it victorious. They came out of it faithful. And God wipes away every tear because they were familiar with the great sorrows and the great pains of enduring that tribulation. Uh, if you go back to Mark chapter 13. Okay. Go back to Mark chapter 13. Look at verse 13, 13. <clears throat> I want to point something out here as well. It says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, now, a baby Christian may read that and say, Oh no, what if I don't endure? <laughs> then I won't be saved. Because Jesus says, The one who endures to the end will be saved. What if I endure to like a couple months before the end? <laughs> I give up. Because it's hard. Does that mean I, I, don't, I lose my salvation? Does that mean I'm not saved? Okay. And, you know, as a baby Christian, I read it that way as well. I was kind of scared. I I was like, I better not deny Christ. I will will endure to the end because I want to be saved. Okay? Now, um, I personally do not think that this word here, it's once again the Greek word sozo for the word saved. I don't think it's talking about salvation. I don't think it's talking about everlasting salvation. Okay? This word sozo, once again, it could be translated into the English word saved, But the Bible translators also uh, translate it into heal, to deliver. It can also mean to rescue, to to do well, to preserve, to protect, to to bring deliverance from danger. All right. And so I think Jesus may be saying here, the one who endures to the end will be rescued, will be delivered from danger. Meaning, if you don't endure, you might die. (laughs) You give up, you might even kill yourself. But if you endure to the end, Jesus, when He returns, He's going to snatch you about to tribulation and say, All right, tribulation ends now. I'm back. All right, and so I I tend to see it that way. So don't feel, don't be scared that. Oh no, the tribulation. I'm going to lose my salvation. I was doing so good before the tribulation came. And now I am not. I don't even believe in Christ anymore. It's so hard. What am I supposed to do? The antichrist, he's so much nicer. He seems like he has all the answers. You know? Antichrist. You know, you want to call him the antichrist. You know, I don't know who he will be. You know, Bangi Moon. I don't know who he will be. <laughs> just kidding. I just kidding. I just kidding. I love Bangi Moon. I just... Well, yeah, a lot of Christian fanatics will say it's the UN, you know, one of the UN leaders and United Nations leaders. I don't know. All right. But <clears throat> but look, I'm just saying, don't in, don't, it's not necessarily you have to interpret it that way. And let me, let me make another case. I do not think that you can lose your salvation. You cannot lose your justification before God because Jesus himself says, that is, people cannot be led astray. So look, look at uh, verse 22. <clears throat> false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. What does that say by implication? Jesus says by implication, the elect it is impossible for the elect to be led astray. False prophets, false Christs, they will try. But they will fail. Because my chosen ones are coming home. My church, I'm not going to lose any of them, even through the tribulation. Because it's not possible for them to be led astray. Why can't they be led astray? Why? Why? Because of the saving power and grace of God. That's why. That's why in the book of Revelation, these guys are saying, salvation belongs to our God. Meaning salvation, the saving work that God does, He doesn't put any of that on your shoulders. It's all on Him. He does it. He planned it. He sent His Son. His Son died. His Son resurrected. He applies it to your heart by His grace. Salvation belongs to... god if it belongs to god that means you can't take it away even if you decide to backslide real hard you can't make the father forsake you and hebrews says so never will i leave you never will i forsake you That's a promise of the lord for every person that is in christ The Bible says, if you've been born again, and you enter into a love relationship with God, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That means demons can't, angels can't, nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing in the tribulation, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is good news. Now, can you see understand why I'm a Calvinist? Can you understand why... I'm reformed, why I'm so strong. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not trying to convince everybody here tonight to be a Calvinist or to believe in the Calvinist view of predestination. But I'm trying to reason with you why God's put it on my heart, why it's so important. Not only to have a good view of the end times, but to have a good view of salvation. Because man, when you start going through some stuff, and you see even your friends that you thought were going to be faithful to the end, they start falling away. And if you start to believe, oh no, they lost their salvation, then the fear comes into your heart. Well, I might just be next. But if you believe that salvation belongs to God, when you see your friend fall away, you all know it's a matter of time before they come back to the Lord. And you stand strong and you endure because you want to bring your friend back into right relationship with the Lord into love relationship with the Lord so y'all can endure together and so that the church through this great time of tribulation is not stockpiling weapons and food away in some basement in Arizona I mean i tell you American Christians they got all kinds of loony ideas of how they're supposed to respond to the end times you know these militias that form their groups. I mean, how much trouble do they cause for the nation? And how much... What, what a bad name they give to Christ. And, and you know, uh, they do the same thing as these cults do. Like David Koresh. I don't know if you guys know David Koresh. The Davidians in Waco, Texas, you know. He got, he got everybody in his compound. He was having sex with all the women. All the married women in his congregation, by the way. And then and then he, he uh, and then he stockpiles weapons and, and then and then the ATF and the FBI they raid, raid the compound and then they they start shooting back and then he tells everybody to kill themselves. So everybody commits suicide and then they burn the place on fire. I mean that's that's a picture that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then and then Christians who believe that they have a correct review of the scripture They're doing very similar things to David Koresh. They're stockpiling weapons. Look, when we go through something like the tribulation, I believe for me, I personally think it's coming. And I believe that these earthquakes that we see and the wars that we're seeing in Libya right now, there's intense fighting going on. In Sudan, for the last 10, 15 years, there's been intense fighting tribes of people, killing off entire tribes of other people. These are all signs. They're birth pains of what is to come. And what we as a church need to understand is when these things intensify and they they get more frequent, it's not time for us to go hide in a bunker. That's where God's people, they really need to be in submission to the word of God, in relationship with each other, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with anointing power, because at the end times, they're going to use signs and wonders. How are we to know between true signs and wonders and false signs and wonders? Well, Bill Johnson, he teaches that (coughs) the, uh, the federal government, the way that they are able to identify counterfeit bills is not by studying counterfeit bills. It's by studying the authentic ones. That they're able to more sharply and quickly identify the counterfeit ones. If you really want to be discerning about false signs and wonders, false prophets and stuff in the end days, you need to get with it with the real signs and wonders. With the true prophets of the Lord. Which at New Philly, we believe that there are still prophets for today. I know not, not all, all churches believe that. But if you know the authentic, you will be able to more quickly discern the counterfeit. And we, we, we need to be discerning, especially as we enter into the end times. We, know, we don't need to dread it, we should look forward to it like a mother looks forward to the birth of her baby you know uh, t- uh, you know today's time a lot of mothers young mothers they're so focused on the fear of labor they're so focused on the fear of labor it empowers the enemy and it and it just paralyzes them and it, it takes out faith out of the equation of, of labor All right but uh, but uh, uh, A good healthy way to go into labor Is you look forward to the baby that's to come Not get focused on the fear Of the pain of labor Because by the way Focusing on the fear It might get you through the labor But it ain't going to be pleasant Every moment is going to be very unpleasant But if you're looking instead You're focused on the baby that's to come Even though it's unpleasant You're willing to endure because you know the joy is coming You know the joy is coming and we need to understand as a church The joy is coming The return of the king is coming And so what shall we do In response To this news That the end is drawing near And, the, and the Christ is about to return in all his glory What is, what is our response Look at uh, Mark 13 again, right Number one, that's three points, real quick Number one, number, verse nine be on your guard. Real easy, right? First thing that we should do in response to the truth that the end is drawing nearer and closer is be on our guard. Why say Jesus say that? Because there's an enemy. He wants to deceive us. He wants to take us out. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus is like, be on your guard. He doesn't say it once. He actually says it three times in this entire chapter. Verse 23. He says, be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now, if Jesus had in mind a pre-tribulation rapture, why is he talking like this? He's, like, he's talking as if we're going to have to go through it. <laughs> be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Be on guard. I'm just kidding, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to rapture y'all up. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't come off as that tone is, is not even close. He says, I've told you all things beforehand. Get ready. Be on guard. And verse 33, says same thing, says be on guard. So number one, you got to be, be on guard, be on your guard. Number two, verse 33, it says be on guard and stay awake for you do not know when the time will come. Stay awake. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. Does that mean insomnia? No, of course not. It means... In our spiritual alertness, God wants us to stay awake. Alright, He wants us to stay awake. Because if we get caught up in the cares of life, and that becomes our main obsession, our 401Ks, our condos, our cars, if that becomes our main obsession, you're going to be found asleep. God wants us to stay awake. Because when the time comes, all that doesn't matter. You better be willing to let it go real quick. I believe in God's goodness. I believe I'm going to experience God's goodness while I'm here on this earth. But when the tribulation starts to draw near, I'm going to be like, I don't care about this apartment. I don't care about my computer. I'm out. Peace. I mean, I don't know where I'm going. Actually, I'm not out. I'm not going to the bunker. I'm going to be right here. (coughs) See, I'm, I'm like so ingrained with all of this as well. I need to get it out of my vocabulary but stay awake Jesus says stay awake keep your oil lamps burning keep on fire for God you never know when he's going to return and, and the third thing comes from verse 10 it says and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations the end is near what do we do in response we got to proclaim the gospel In Matthew 24, as a very similar version, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, some Christians may start to to say, Well, if we don't preach the gospel, then maybe the end won't come. We'll delay the end. (laughs) Because the end doesn't sound pleasant. The end sounds dangerous. The end sounds scary. I don't want the end to come. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to preach the gospel. I let my children do it. Man, you lazy bum. You call yourself a Christian. How can you think that way? I know, I know, I know none of y'all are thinking that way. But don't let yourself find, find yourself slipping into that mentality. we got to preach the gospel. Why? Because although the pain of the tribulation, although the, the hardship of the tribulation is great, the joy of seeing our Lord is greater. And so the gospel must be preached to all nations. The gospel of the kingdom, if you know that part, is different than just preaching the evangelism message. Gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So brothers and sisters, uh, as we, you know, pray for Japan, as we mourn for the losses that Japan is experiencing, let's also really pray into Japan for spiritual harvest. How terrible would it be if after all this devastation, they go right back to Shintoism? God will hold us and our generation accountable for that. He wants us to go in there and start revival fires all over Japan. And so, you know, as we, we, you know we need to mourn with them. We need to grieve with them. We need to help them. We need to give offerings and, and help them through that devastation. But as we help them rebuild, we go there also sharing the love and message of Christ. And I believe there's a great harvest coming in Japan because Japanese people are going to be part of that great multitude. Yeah. That's described in Revelation. And they're going to be praising God in Japanese. And I'm, not, I'm going to stand one, next to one of them. And I'm not going to understand what they're saying. Haragaito. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's, uh, let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much. Lord God, there's a fear that Satan tries to instill in the hearts of your people when it comes to end time issues. But God, we reject that fear today. Whatever end time view we hold to, we reject the fear. And we embrace the joy. The joy of seeing Our King. Lord God, it will be an honor and privilege to be the generation that ushers that in. And we would love to see that hastened and expedited through the preaching of the gospel. So that our generation will truly usher in. And endure through the three and a half years or seven years. or How many years ends up being the great tribulation? and endure through it and usher in your rule and your reign the millennial reign of Christ we want to usher that in god we want to be a generation that has their our oil lamps burning our hearts burning for the return watching for the groom may we be a church a bride that is watching for the groom in eager expectation. Yeah. God, we want to be faithful witnesses. We want to be a faithful witness under trial. Even if terrible things like Nazi Germany were to ever happen again, we want to be found faithful witnesses in the face of that evil, God. We want to stand before kings. And give testimony of Jesus. Even if some of us are chosen to be persecuted physically. As we take our stripes. As we take our pain. We do it blessing the Lord. And proclaiming his goodness. God we want to be found as a people. Secure in our identity in you. That we cannot be shaken. Earthquakes can shake the earth. But earthquakes cannot shake our identity. Cannot shake the love of God that is inside of our hearts. God, we want to be found a, a people faithful. Faithful. at your return, Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want us to take this time and I want us to pray for Japan. I want us to pray for Japan. I know I started with Japan. And that's because I want us to pray for Japan. And the Bible says in Isaiah 61, the anointing of the Spirit comes upon us to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. You know, grieving is important. And what people don't understand is in their aim to be strong, they skip the grieving process. And uh, that's not healthy because you never truly deal with the loss of that loved one. You never deal with the trauma of that accident because you don't take time to grieve. Can I tell you something what Pastor Benjamin, my mentor, taught me? He said that Jesus, the Son of God, and with his prophetic knowledge, that he was intentionally delaying from coming to Lazarus. He intentionally waited so Lazarus was dead four days in the tomb. Even though he knew that he would go and raise Lazarus from the dead, the Bible still says that when he arrived, Jesus wept. Why does the Bible show us that? Because if Jesus weeps, he's saying it's okay for you to weep. And sometimes for some of the things that we experience in our lives, the only appropriate response is to weep. And we should not move on so quickly without taking the period to mourn and to grieve. In Israel, they used to take five, six days in sackcloth and ashes to grieve and to mourn. And a lot of us, we're not good at that. We go and we put down our flower, we say a quick prayer, and then we go to our buffet and forget about it. But right now, what Japan... Really wants, I think what God wants the, uh, the church to do in response to what's happening in Japan is not to just so be so quick to condemn or give a prophetic word about it, but it's to grieve for these people, grieve for their loss, and to pray for God to turn this around for good. So let's just take this time. Let's pray for Japan right now. Pray for Japan. Come on. Pray for the Japanese people.